0: You're listening to the Ultimate Game Faces Podcast with your host, Rich Key, delivering insight into the fascinating life stories of his featured guests.
1: Known as the famous chicken, Ted Gianolis revolutionized in-game entertainment with his clever comedy routines. Beginning in the 1970s, dressed in a giant yellow chicken suit, Ted's antics revitalized attendance in San Diego and led to many other teams introducing mascots. It is with great pleasure I welcome our guest today, Ted Gianolis.
2: A pleasure being on with you, Rich. Looking forward to this.
1: Well, Ted, I think we're going to have some fun. And before we get into the um, to the antics and uh, and kicking it around here, I want to one of the first to congratulate you, you were honored. Just yesterday, it was announced by Sabre, which is the Society of American Baseball Research, a very respected group, by naming you as one of 50 non players who have influenced the game of baseball in the past 50 years.
2: I did not know that. You just broke news to me.
1: Wow, <laughs>
2: that is i'm um' it's a feather in my cap to say so, uh but I gotta tell you that is very cool of all the people that are it's animals too I guess that they could have chosen that's <laughs> not nah, rich that is i'm I'm taken aback that um you know what i I pinch myself every day for what I've lived through uh over five decades of performing, and i it never. I never get tired of it and it never wears me down. I'm always emboldened and, and happy about it. And, and I'm honored. And I, you know, and this is, it's fantastic. I love it because saber people, hey, they know baseball, don't they? And so, you. yes, yes,
0: sir. And so Basically, that is a high honor. sleep
1: and live it. Yeah. In yes. fact, I was talking, I was talking with a mutual friend of ours yesterday, Fred Claire. And Fred, and I I was telling him that you were going to be my guest today, and he says, Rich, please be sure. He says, how timely is this? He says, I just read that Ted was one of 50 non-player folks that have influenced the game, and he saw it on on Twitter. I'm excited. Timing is everything, so this is terrific.
2: That is fantastic. I'm I'm really I'm really honored uh, and and touched. That is something because those experts know the game as well as anybody in the world and for them to uh, make that kind of designation it's definitely um a, a high honor. You know? You know, I I I got to tell you it's uh rich uh, sometimes uh, people ask me uh you know you're not officially in the Hall of Fame how do you feel about that and I, I, I got to tell, and I tell all of them, you know, plaques are nice, but platitudes are better, or plaudits are better. When you see uh, like people like Sabre, the Sabre organization, literally acknowledge you in, in that way, I, I love it. And again, whenever I'm performing out there and fans applaud or laugh or show joy of what I do, that carries just as much weight for me. So it's all good, and uh, that's. Uh, thank you for giving me that news. I'm 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 really touched.
1: And after our conversation, Ted, uh, when you have a moment, check out the Saber website and look at the company that is excited to be part of you and am honor. I to do that.
2: Yes, sir. So I am. going You to do will do that. be
1: blo- you will be blown away with the company that you keep. So that's great. That's very cool. Um, you've made over, if I'm if my numbers are uh, correct. I understand you've made over 5,000 appearances in close to a 1,000 different venues, 50 states, and eight countries wearing out more than 100 chicken suits. Yeah, <laughs> Ted. Where do where do a hundred chicken suits go to die? I mean, what do you do with them?
2: <laughs> Early on, I wasn't keeping them around. I was just recycling them. I didn't even think of even keeping my original one. Believe it or not, you know. And it didn't dawn on me like, hey, maybe I should start saving some of this stuff, you know, as the years progressed. So. Um, and so uh believe it or not uh uh one of the suits was sent to the panini card company, Don Russ, and they've cut it up and, and included it in different card sets
0: <laughs> which <laughs> yes <laughs> as funny as it sounds
2: yes they you you can buy chicken parts in in, in in their card sets and and fans have sent those to me to be autographed. Uh, but also, uh, I've used heads, um, to send to sports bars mounted on plaques, uh, and, uh, and I'm also honored to say that one of the full costumes is sitting on full display at Cooperstown at the Baseball Hall of Fame. So I'm not officially inducted, of course, but it's on full display and, uh, gets a lot of attention. And I know because a lot of fans take pictures. Standing beside it, and they sent it to me to be autographed. So it, it's that's another high honor, and it's all good. So the the costumes themselves, I still have a few uh, left over, and uh, yeah, I I don't know what to do with them one day, but I, it'll it'll dawn on me.
1: I love the quote that's attributed to Jack Murphy. Mm-hmm. He described you as an embryonic. Charlie Chaplin and chicken feathers. Does it get any better than that, Ted?
2: No, no. And that that was back in the seventies, and uh, that that is high praise uh, coming again from such a a celebrated writer as as uh, the late Jack Murphy. I'm telling you, um, it, that that was mind boggling for me. You know, yeah. Sometimes, you know, Rich, we're so close to the forest, we can't see the trees. And when when I was out there performing. You know, I knew it was having an impact with with fans towards the enjoyment of the game, but I didn't realize how much until, uh, you know, you started seeing it in print from, uh, from, like I say, celebrated writers and pundits and such, and it really uh, meant a lot to me. You know, there's an old adage, don't laugh because it only encourages him. Well, yes, mm-hmm. that's exactly what happened. And as all these people and all these professionals – players, umpires, sports writers, as they laughed, it encouraged me more and more and more. And it it just gave me the drive to keep going. So um, as I look back and reflect, uh, it all means a lot to me. Every laughter, every applause, every good thing that that was ever written or said, uh, believe me, it it really carries um, sincere and appreciated weight with me. And uh, for that I'm, I'm very humbled by it.
1: You mentioned uh, umpires. Do you have a one particular favorite umpire story you're willing to share?
2: Oh, probably my very first time on the field. And it was with the late uh, Art Williams, uh, the first black umpire of the National League. And this has everything to do with the first time I ever stepped on the field. The Padres called me up, oh, about 1977. Uh, in the afternoon and said, uh, it was Ballard Smith, the president of the team, and said, Ted, we're doing something special tonight for tonight's game. We're going to shoot our first commercial, and uh, we want you to be a part of it. Uh, Can you go on the field and do something crazy? I said, on the field itself? Yes, he said. In the fifth inning, uh, can you jump uh, on the field and go out and, and do something? I have no idea what to do. What do you want me to do, Ballard? I don't know. You're the chicken, he says. Think of something, but we'll have our cameras trained on you. I said, holy moly. Okay. So comes the fifth inning of the game, and here are 40,000 fans in the stands. It's jacket night for the kids. I don't know what to do. Comes the fifth inning. So I hop the railing, and the fans start screaming, oh, my gosh, the chicken is loose on the field. And I'm literally coming out of uh, near the Padre bullpen in the left field corner. And I'm running down the third base uh, foul line. It's, I'm still in the outfield, so it's the outfield foul line. And I'm running towards the Diamond, not knowing, Rich, a single thing that I'm going to do. But there are the fans just in, in uh, screaming that, oh, my gosh, you're not supposed to be out there. But here's the chicken. And in the commotion, the third base umpire, Art Williams, turns around to see what the fuss was about. And he had this broad smile that literally challenged the shining of the moon it was that bright and i said to myself aha there's a fresh face i'm going <laughs> to run over i'm going to run over to him and just improvise something what i don't know but i'm just going to think of something so I, I i jog over to him and i extend my hand to shake his and as he reaches for mine then it dawns on me right there it comes to me aha uh-huh. i'll shake his hand but i'll make believe as i'm walking away He hasn't let go, and he jerks me back off my feet. And so I'm shaking his hand, and I literally say to him, Mr. Umpire, don't worry about me. I'm just going to goof with you for a second. And as I pretend to walk away, he lets go of his grip, but I don't let go of mine. And I pantomime that he's literally jerked me right back in midair, and I collapse to the ground. Well, then I, I pick myself up. The fans are screaming like, Oh my gosh, the umpire just pulled a trick on the chicken, you know. And I get up and then I start creating a, a pseudo argument like Billy Martin or, or, uh, Tommy Lasorda or Leo Durocher, whatever. All the great arguers of of baseball history. And I start uh, pretending like I'm I'm yelling and and pointing and and, and, and just in tremendous consternation about what uh, he did with me he doesn't know what's going on he literally turns around to look at his at his umpire mates who were gathered there uh, at first base and they're throwing up their arms going don't look at us we didn't put him up to this you know and so <laughs> he, you're on your own you know yeah, and so and so I'm I'm creating this uh, big argument and, and the, the fans are going nuts I don't know how to end it and then it comes to me in one second I'll stop and give him the raised leg salute like a dog going on a fire hydrant. And I stop and I raise my leg in disgust and then storm off the field. The explosion (laughs) from 40,000 people, Rich, the explosion probably showed itself on the Richter scale. It was that loud. Holy moly. And I got off the field and uh, I was so shaken by all the um, emotion of laughter. I had never heard that before in my entire life. Such loud laughter. 40,000 people at once that I literally ran all the way out to the parking lot and had to compose myself. I was so (laughs) shaking with excitement over what I just heard. And so that was the first time And my favorite uh, uh, story of uh, an umpire, first time I went on the field, completely improvised with an umpire, and bless his heart, the late Art Williams, he just went along with the flow, and it was a a, a tremendous moment, uh, and a defining moment in my own history.
1: There is a story with Roger Craig involved with the eye chart. Can you share that story (laughs) and how that evolved? It's one of my favorites.
0: Yes, yes. When he was
2: uh, when he was manager of the Padres, nineteen seventy nine, I believe it was. Uh, still, uh, I think it was in the second year as a Padre manager. Uh, I'm I'm inside the Padre clubhouse getting a quick drink of water. It's about the fifth, sixth inning. In storms, Roger Craig and he's like a bull in a china shop. He is mad, and it's just the two of us in the in the clubhouse. Six feet four, 220 pounds, that's Roger, and he is mad, and he's throwing a few things around, and he turns to me and he says, did you see that, Teddy?
0: Did you see that?
2: I said, Roger, I'm sorry, I'm just in here to get a drink. What happened? He says, that umpire, Dave Pallone, he just threw me out. He threw me out for the first time in my career. I've never been thrown out. I've never been thrown out as a player, a coach, or a manager. I go out there, I question one thing, and this guy throws me out. He's nuts. He's crazy. He said, Roger, I, I'm so sorry. I, I, I don't know what to say. Roger doesn't say anything. He looks around. He kicks over a few chairs, and then I see him going right, right into the trainer's room. And off the wall, there was a clear shot. He pulls down the eye chart. He walks it, storms it right back out to me. And he says, Teddy, will you do me a favor? Will you take this thing out to him and stick it in his face?
0: And I said, (laughs)
2: oh, I'm thinking to myself, that's comedy gold. Oh, no, that's beautiful. Why didn't I think of that myself? But then Roger throws it down to me. He says, I'm counting on you. You do it. Well, I didn't do it that night because uh, as great as the idea was, I wanted cooler heads to prevail. But the following night, I went out there and I did it. And all the reaction that it got, and it was all Roger Craig's doing just from his moment of, of madness there. But he created an immense routine for me for the rest of my life.
1: You picked a different umpire. I challenge. went
2: right to Pallone himself. Oh, God right... bless you. <laughs> yes, yes, and it was uh, it was a remarkable moment, and everybody laughed. And I have to say, even Dave Pallone himself laughed, and the fans went nuts, and, uh, and and I still remember coming off the field and Roger Craig giving me the wink. He you
0: hey, he say Thank you. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's that's what baseball's about. It's, it's that camaraderie amongst yourselves, and uh, you were you were always going to be number one in Roger's mind. I at, at that point, that's terrific. Oh
2: yeah, yeah, great man, great guy.
1: During the summer, you would perform in some sweltering uh, heat. I imagine wearing that costume. Any idea of how much you would lose during yeah. a game?
2: Yeah, about five to seven pounds. Not unlike uh, a catcher, probably uh, right. calling a game. So, uh, yeah, I really sweated quite a bit. It wasn't uncommon for me to literally sweat pools of sweat under me, even as I'm standing on the dugout. Uh It really was something. So, yeah, I would say at one time, I recall in Texas, and it was over 100 degrees, and the Texas Rangers actually uh, brought a pool together as to who would, uh, uh I had to weigh in before the game, and, and then I had to weigh after the game. And the players themselves put money down as to how many pounds I'm going to lose that night.
0: <laughs> and
2: I ended up losing on that night, I think, close to nine pounds. And so whoever guessed nine, he won a nice pot of money, uh, you know, in the clubhouse. But, uh, yeah, the... Uh, The clubhouse attendant had me weigh in. He told me, "Ted, you have to weigh in. The players have got they've they've got a secret pool going on you as to how much weight you're going to lose tonight." And then I got to weigh you (laughs) after afterwards. And so I did it. It was pretty close to nine pounds. Uh, And uh, yeah, so whoever guessed that uh, probably made a few bucks for himself that night.
1: What's your best estimate as far as how many fans you've performed live in front of?
2: Oh, I easily over 70 million in live attendances. Uh,
1: 770
2: 70 million. Yes. Wow. Uh, yeah, I, and that's easily figured by merely totaling up the night nice attendances, night after night after night. And
0: Unbelievable. I've
2: gone around the world. Yeah, I've gone around the world uh like I say. I've played I've played massive stadiums, I've played small stadiums. And in uh, the 5,000 appearances that you've mentioned, it's it's more than that for games. But on top of that, I've done trade shows and parades and, uh, and uh, conventions and such. And so uh, if you factor in all of those uh, appearances, it's easily over 25,000 appearances, many of them, two, three, and four appearances on the same day in different venues.
1: That leads me up to my next question, which is, you didn't mention concerts, and, and yes. I'm going gonna, gonna to give you one word, and I'm going to ask you just take it from there and share what I think our audience is just going to love. The one word is Elvis.
2: Oh, uh, oh, a lovely story, a wonderful story. Believe it or not, let me preface it this way. Not everybody can say they made the king laugh. But I did, and I stopped his show. Here's the story. Elvis, it's late in his uh, career. He's about um, 16 months from his passing. April 1976, he's playing the San Diego Sports Arena. As was the situation back then, working for a radio station, I would attend, as it's chicken, all the concerts. Elvis comes to town, it, it was just fabulous for me to go to that one as well but i was given the red eye by uh, the red uh, the red eye by security to say don't you try your 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 uh, rock and roll stunts being in the audience uh on elvis elvis is royalty you just watch your step so they were all giving me like the stink eye okay
0: and right. i understand i understand okay
2: just watch yourself for tonight, okay, Ted? Yeah, oh, yeah, all right, all right. Anyway, so I'm just up in the uh, grandstands there as uh, Elvis is conducting his concert. In the middle of his concert, he breaks into a, a medley of uh, Jerry Lee Lewis songs, and he leads with a whole lot of shaking going on. And I said, that doesn't. <laughs> oh, that, uh, that, I said, that, there's a line in that song. We got chicken in the barn. Whose barn, what barn, my barn. I said, no, that doesn't. This calls for, this calls for chicken action.
0: So <laughs>
2: as, as Elvis is in the middle of the song, I run down the steps and then up the aisle to in front of the stage itself, right under Elvis, in the aisle, as he's singing. And I'm dancing all up and down in front of the stage in, before him, not on the stage, but at, below his feet, while he's singing this Jerry Lee Lewis song and he sees me from the corner of his eye, and he starts laughing. I mean laughing out loud. So loud, he's lost control of his own lyrics. And I'm still dancing to to, to the music. Meanwhile, he is now doubled over with laughter that he drops to one knee on the stage, and he has stopped singing. Now, the band behind him, The band behind them can't see that I'm dancing, uh, and and Elvis is laughing. They're thinking, oh, my gosh, he's having a seizure. Elvis is having a medical seizure on the stage. So now the the band, he's down on one knee. can't continue with the lyrics. and, And now the band is playing, but only softly, and they're looking at each other. And in that moment, I'm not kidding you, Rich. The doctor, the famous Dr. Nick, runs from the side of the stage with his black bag. And he he (laughs) kneels beside Elvis together. And he pulls out his stethoscope. And he attempts to make Elvis lay down on the stage. (laughs) Elvis shakes his head, no, no. And he he nudges him slightly and points to me, dancing still uh, up and down. Uh, up and down in front, uh, in front of the aisle. And and uh, you can see that Dr. Nick then swears an epitaph and, and uh, collects himself, <laughs> hustles right back off the stage. Elvis collects himself, turns uh, to the band, and re- references them uh, by a hand signal to keep playing, and he picks up the lyrics, and he finishes the song. Now, as the song finishes, he turns to the audience, and he says, ladies and gentlemen, I apologize for... Messing up those lyrics. And I don't know if you all can see, but you gotta believe me. There is a chicken dancing in front of the aisle down here in front. And of course the audience applauds like, yes, we know, we know the chicken. And then, bless his heart, Elvis comes up with one of the greatest lines on the spot. He says, I don't know who put the chicken up to this, but I want to warn him. My manager's name is the Colonel!
0: Okay, and with that,
2: <laughs> with that I, I get all flustered, I twist my beak, I act crazy, and I literally dart out of the arena, right up the stairs, and up into the concourse. And Elvis had a great, great laugh, and of course up in the concourse, security was waiting for me. They picked me up by all four limbs, and literally bum rushed me out of the arena, Using my head as a battering ram to open the wow. glass doors, and they throw me out into the parking lot, just like that. The, the sports arena security. Uh, but Elvis had a good laugh, and you know what? I loved it, you know, because I was on a cloud, uh, all the way. And, uh, to see Elvis laugh like that, and in retrospect, that, having such a good laugh like that in the last part of his life, it was really something. Uh, uh, for me, uh, just, uh, to, to experience that. But it was a magical moment that I literally stopped Elvis in mid-song cold with laughter. I mean, th- I could even see the tears welling up in his eyes with, with the, uh, w- with, with the Kling lights shining right off of them. And, and, uh, oh, it was, uh, remarkable. I did not think it would impact him quite the way it did, but I'm glad that it did.
1: What a memory, and nobody can take that away from you, Ted. That's just phenomenal.
2: I'll never forget that night. It's it's magical. He's the king. He is the icon of, of, of rock and roll. Yes. Everything. Yeah. He epitomizes it to this day.
1: You've met a lot of celebrities over the years, I'm sure. Do you care to share with us the urinal conversation that you had with Ted Turner?
2: Oh, yes, yes. Uh, uh, again, a defining moment in in, <laughs> in my personal history. <laughs> yeah, believe it or not, I, unbeknownst to me at the time, the Padres told me this. Ballard Smith told me this, the president of the team. One time uh, during the summer meetings of all the owners, Ballard Smith was representing Ray Kroc. Ted Turner had cornered him and asked him, "Do you mind if I trade? I'd like to trade trade you uh, a backup catcher for the chicken." Ballard Smith I'd explained to him, believe it or not, he's not even our employee to trade. You know, he's he's like a he's a radio station kid. He works for a rock and roll radio station, just happens to come to all of our games. We won't even pay him.
0: And so <laughs> So Ted
2: Turner decides to invite me to Atlanta to perform for the Atlanta Braves. Uh this is a, a September nineteen seventy-eight game. Both the Padres and the Braves are cellar dwellers and and it's a nothing game but it's september he invites me out and i'm performing in the game around the grandstands when an usher uh signals me that uh, mr turner the owner would like to speak with you down uh at his personal seats uh at the behind the braves dugout and so he escorted me there to ted turner as as i'm being led down uh the aisle towards ted's seats He's coming up the aisle by happenstance, and he encounters me. And he says, hey, just a chicken man I want to see. Come with me. So I escort with him. I don't know where he's taking me, but we're going up the aisle and through the concourse. And lo and behold, he's got to do a men's room run. Okay. We go into the men's room. and, And there... At the urinal, you know, he relieves himself, and he starts talking to me while he's relieving himself. He says, I've had my eye on you, kid. He says, uh, nobody works as hard as you do, not even my players, so we have to make a deal. I said, wow, okay, <laughs> this is something. And and just as a quick aside, Ted Turner had always been a hero of mine, quite a, the entrepreneur, flamboyant, funny, right. self-driven, and but he had been Uh, a a hero of mine. He finishes up, he goes washes his hands, and uh, he's talking to me. And he says, uh, I'd like to hire you to come and work with me here in Atlanta. And then he escorts me all the way back down to the the seating area, sit beside him. I sat beside him there, and he makes an offer for me uh, to come and work for him uh, for the Atlanta Braves. And and all his sports teams, including the Atlanta Hawks of the NBA, which he owned at the time. And he's telling me, I'm I'm going to make you a big star. And he says, you got to trust me. I'm going to do things in television. Uh, beyond what I'm doing now, you'll have your own show. You'll have merchandising. You'll do travel. I've got big plans for you. And he pulls out his business card. And he writes there on the back of the card for my pal, Ted Giannullis, and at the time, He wrote down $50,000 a year. Now, Rich, for a guy making 5 bucks (laughs) an hour at the time, that was mind-blowing, okay? Absolutely staggering for me. But then subsequently, he would double that in a conversation on the phone uh, with me. And as he hands me the card, he, he said, I'm very serious about this. In fact, you start tomorrow. We'll send for your things in California. And I had to explain to him, that, no, Ted, I, I'm still living at home. I, I, I got to go tell my parents. I got to tell my boss, uh, you know, who I'm working with. You know, but, but I got to I got I to gotta fill them in on all of this. And so eventually, uh, that he, that was the uh, that was uh, an offer that he made for me to come to Atlanta. It put me on the map, needless to say. And uh, I, unfortunately, I had to turn him down. Nothing from uh Ted's perspective I turned them down cuz I really felt insecure and not up to the challenge of of meeting it I was literally intimidated by it and so I stayed behind in San Diego the restaurant station that um that uh, had hired me they raised their offer considerably from 5 bucks an hour to something comparable to what Ted was offering uh at the time and so i had to, i i just i just couldn't leave san diego because there was such an outpouring when this story leaked it was such an outpouring of emotion for me to stay now there were editorials on on television for example begging me to stay in san diego wow. remarkable it was remarkable and i just did not have the heart to leave san diego as much as i wanted to go and and work with ted had i had i done that. I'm sure Ted would have turned it into an amazing amazing situation not only my own TV show probably my own cartoon and who knows what else but um I couldn't do it I just couldn't do it at the time uh I I led more with my heart than my head and um no regrets.
0: I I can't
2: I can't complain I can't complain but I, you know it's one of those things where you reflect and you say Oh, I wish I could have, and what if,
0: I had,
1: right.
2: had I done that. But um, I had always respected Ted um, to that moment and long afterwards as well.
1: It could have been the Atlanta chicken. I like the sound of San Diego chicken better.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, it's all, it's all good, but it's, uh, it would have been a unique situation, and especially, especially in the hands of such a flamboyant entrepreneur and a oh, wildly imaginative Ted Turner. A, a remarkable, remarkable person.
1: Is it true that the famous chicken did jail time? Did you spend some time in, in jail? Oh, at?
2: yes, yes, yes. It happened in 1976, believe it or not, at a concert. Again, it was a rock and roll concert for a band called Aerosmith. And I'm, I'm performing out in the in the audience during intermission. And fans are laughing uproariously as, as I'm doing little pantomimes. Among them, just goofing off of fans uh, and, and, and concert goers there. And the, the laughter picked the interest of one of the guitarists uh, backstage. He hears this laughter. You don't hear laughter at a rock and roll concert during an intermission. And so he, <laughs> he sticks his head out. He sees me cavorting out there. So he sends one of the road crew, one of the roadies, out to, to get me and bring me uh, backstage so he he retrieves he comes and gets me and he says hey Joe Perry the guitarist of Aerosmith wants to speak with you Joe Perry is a big name in in rock and roll and I said yeah sure he does And no, the roadie assures me no he does I'm telling you I have to bring you backstage he needs to speak with you and so he takes me to the side of the uh, to the stage uh, it's where Joe Perry, there he is, strapped with a guitar on his back in full view of everybody there on the side stage area, uh, encounters me. And he gets a kick as I'm as, um, in- introduced. And he says, I-, I saw what you're doing out there. He says, that is funny. He says, you want to join the band? You want to join me in the band on stage for our first number? It'll be a gas for the guys. Oh. And, and, and I said, oh, I'd love to. Yeah, you come on stage, but I, I had to caution him. Hey, listen, security here um, uh, is, is really, they don't care for me. I got to tell you, I'm going to need a pass or they're going to throw me out on my can, you know? <laughs> From past experience, hello, yeah. okay? Right. So uh, so I said, and and Joe Perry assures me, I'll get the roadie to run you out of pass, and then the moment you get it, you run on stage with us. Got it. okay. So the band starts up. As they, they go, they go on stage. Literally about two minutes later, there they are going on stage. The lights go down. The guitarist Joe Perry is signaling to me that the pass is coming. Join us up there, waiting for you. Okay, got it. Give him the thumbs up. And so, as the band breaks into its first number, uh, security, the head of security comes across me there, uh, waiting by the side, and he basically says. You're not supposed to be here. I'm trying to explain in the din of all the music. No, no, I'm going up on stage. They're bringing me a pass. you got to believe me. He doesn't believe me, and he starts literally uh, roughhousing with me to give me a um, the shove out of there. He pushes me down. My assistant comes over uh, to my assist, uh, to my aid, and and uh, pushes the security guard back. And suddenly, the three of us are grappling right there, <laughs> while the band is into its first number. Okay, and and of course the security uh, the, it's bouncers. I, I call them security guards, right. but they're bouncers. You know, like you see yes. at a bar. Okay, right. so they rush in. They see the commotion going on um, amongst us. And they rush in and separate us and then take us to a back room. And that's where he threw me up against the wall and knocked me out. Knocked me out against a cinder block wall. And so as I come (laughs) to, uh, they take us out to the parking lot, and he puts us under citizen's arrest. Uh, The police come, uh, and and he wanted the police to arrest us. And the police said, we don't believe the story that you're telling us, and we're not going to do this. So the head bouncer of security says, okay, I'm placing him under citizen's arrest. And the police very apologetically come to me and they say, we have to do this. It's our duty. Uh, but I want, we need you to be aware. We're not doing this. This gentleman over here is doing it under citizen's arrest, and we have to follow through. And so literally, they took me to jail in my costume, and I spent several hours there in the tank, the police <laughs> were having a field day with it. They were in hysterics. They couldn't believe what was going on. Okay? And lo and behold, uh, just to shorten the story, the uh, the city attorney refused, uh, the district attorney, I think it was, refused to bring uh, charges against me and instead filed charges against the security guard uh, who was found uh, guilty eventually, of assault and battery on me. But that later was reduced to a misdemeanor because I I wasn't hospitalized as a result of my injuries. But uh, that was it. But I literally spent a, a, a time in jail in costume. The other inmates who were there, they, they were in hysterics as well. And so it was a crazy night at the San Diego Police Department's holding tank, you know, uh, for all of us.
1: Ted, I would be um, amiss if I didn't bring up the epic event of your career, I, I believe, and that would be the grand hatching after the dispute with the radio station was settled and you came back to reappear in a revised suit much to the delight of the san diego padre fans during that event you were in not only your costume but you were sealed completely sealed into this enormous styrofoam egg rolling around at third base trying to bust out can you actually describe what went through your mind at that point what was going on
2: I'll never forget it Rich it was it was quite a moment for me 47,000 people had sold out Jack Murphy Stadium for this grand hatching that I had promoted all week um I was going to hatch out of a gigantic styrofoam egg to debut my new chicken suit from that point forward after being fired by my radio station sponsors and um it was big news in San Diego and so uh, as such I made this glorious entrance on top of an armored truck complete with California Highway Patrol Escort motorcade onto the field and the players took me from on top of the roof of the truck onto the field and laid me there on third base foul line and to the sound of 2001 Space Odyssey I started rolling around on the infield in the styrofoam egg uh, ready to make my hatching. I was literally going to break out of the egg. Okay? And so Uh, As the music approaches its crescendo, I attempted – and I should mention, by the way, the the enormity of the moment was so overwhelming for me that even though it was 80 degrees on that night in San Diego, inside the egg, I was was shivering in a cold sweat. It really – I've never felt that before in my life. I wasn't sweating uh, any heat. I was sweating – Cold bullets uh, off my body. I it was I. That's how nervous I was, and and how I was, I was overtaken by the emotion of it all. Stand, you, even the, the players, as as they were taking me out onto the field, they were yelling to me. They were saying, "Daddy, everybody's standing. You already got a standing ovation in here, you know." And uh, and I I I couldn't see them, but I could feel them. And the the din of the audience was crazy. And as I'm rolling around to the 2001 music, I'm I'm ready to break out of the egg. And, Rich, uh, it did not break. And I'm trying my (laughs) darndest. I said, oh, no, I'm going to get trapped in here for my big moment and not get out. Because it was was carved out from a single piece, and we just made it a a good guess that I was going to be able to break through it. And I tried it with all my might. I tried with my feet. I tried with my head to bang it through. And then finally, laying on my back, I finally kicked it open over the top. And boom! It finally burst open the top side. And I leap out of there, and with my arms raised. And uh, there were uh, forty-seven thousand people, indeed, giving me a standing ovation. And I was just—I was in a blur. It was surreal i i i felt them but i couldn't see them i was so crazy inside that out, outfit just overtaken with emotion and i and finally i just uh, knelt on on the field with my arms raised thanking them and a couple of padre players came over and picked me up uh 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 kurt bavacqua and and john d'Aquisto were the players and they they put me on their shoulders and carried me around on the field uh, like a conquering World Series hero. And uh, it was a a magic moment uh, and, uh, needless to say, a defining moment in my career.
1: You went and spent some time at the White House. Can you share anything about your experience with uh, Ronald Reagan?
2: Oh, well, with Ronald Reagan, believe it or not, it was here in in San Diego. It was his last – the distinction was it was his last campaign of his political career. And he did it in San Diego because he always called San Diego his lucky city. And I was invited by the White House to join him on stage and help introduce him. And he came out there, and of course he has a one. He had a wonderful sense of humor, and being the face of San Diego back then, he wanted me on there and extended the invitation. I was more than happy to do that and uh, welcome him to the podium on stage and raise his arm in, in victory. But that is the distinction uh, of being his final political campaign of of his career and I was there for it and then um then later on several years later uh, I was invited to the White House when uh George W Bush held, in 2001 held the first ever T-ball game at the White House for uh, literally the the T-ballers they weren't even old enough to be little leaguers they were just like four and five six year old players and I was there to help in the festivities and, and goof off during the game itself. Now, uh, W had known me from his days as owner of the Texas Rangers. He was a big fan and always invited me twice a year to the Texas Rangers to come out uh, and form for the fans in Texas. And then when he went to the White House, sure enough, instinctively, he gave me a call or his staff gave me a call and said, the president would like to see you here on, on the first T-ball game. In White House history, uh, would you be able to come? And so I, I flew out just for that, uh,
0: game. And
2: of all things, it made it on the front page above the fold in the New York Times.
0: You know, <laughs> uh,
2: so yeah, it was crazy, but it was, it, the game was televised live on C-SPAN and there must have been a thousand people there on the White House lawn, including major press from around the world. And it was something for all the kids. Very fun and festive first afternoon on the white house lawn
1: did you ever ask yourself why don't they invite me back for the easter egg roll
2: oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right uh, that you know now that was may so i, I just missed the first um, uh the first easter egg roll but I haven't been back since for any Easter egg rolls. But, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. But I, I know they had the bunny out there. So I guess that that's, that that was plenty in the costume department, I guess.
1: You've had a huge impact that a lot of folks may not honestly realize how ex- how extended it is well beyond baseball. You were the first, still are the best, and mascots from different organizations followed. But the fact that you introduced the popularity of that mascot went beyond baseball as we know it. And it entered, and I'd love your insight on this, on how it influenced the 1984 Summer Olympics. I'd love your take on that.
2: Yes, very interesting angle. Here's the situation: The Olympics, uh, uh, up to 1984, were perennial money losers for everybody who ever held it. Doesn't matter um, whether it was Russia, whether it was Montreal, whether it was Mexico City, wherever the Olympics went, they were they were great um, as uh, as an identity focus for the country uh, um, around the world. But as a business enterprise, it was a big money loser. Well, Peter Ubarov uh, who later would go on to become commissioner of baseball, he was put in charge of running the 1984 Olympics. Whether it was him or someone in his, um, uh, um, among his assistants, I don't know. But you brought is credited with d- deciding. Listen, uh, why don't we do what they do in San Diego with the chicken? Why don't we have a mascot for our Olympics? So they developed Sam the Eagle. And what's significant. It went beyond just being a guy in a costume, uh, being Sam the Eagle. What they decided to do was merchandise the heck out of Sam the Eagle as the face of the LA 84 Olympics. So you got Sandy the Eagle coins, T-shirts, hats, lunch pails, everything to do with Sam the Eagle. And lo and behold, as a result of the merchandise sales, From the mascot character that Uberoff Direct created, the Olympics for the first time got to be in the black. They actually made money. And it's basically recognized as the first viable mascot of the Olympics, all inspired by what I was doing 100 miles away in San Diego. And they just took it to a whole unique and very propelled level. And succeeded as a result, and it made so much money uh, for the Olympics that subsequently every Olympics thereafter started implementing their own mascot, and it's gotten to the point where it's gotten to be a fairly big deal, uh, especially as it relates to, to merchandising. But it, it can be said that yes, the San Diego Chicken actually gave birth or it gave the inspiration is the father of Sam the Eagle that's now created a chain of Olympic mascots since. And not only for the Olympics, but several sports teams and organizations around the world for that matter.
1: When you perform, no matter whether it's a major league ballpark or a minor league ballpark, you typically make yourself available afterwards for autographs. And you will stay, no matter how long it takes you, you'll stay and sign everybody's autograph that's in line. Is that true?
2: Yes, yes. In 47 years of performing, Rich, I've never turned down a single autograph request in my life. I mean, there will be instances if I'm running through the stands that I can't stop and sign. but, But I make myself available late in the game, and I don't leave the ballpark until everyone, everyone who wants an autograph or a photo gets one. I've never turned down a single person. In fact, how long does it go? Normal average, it goes 90 90 minutes to two hours. The longest period of time, going right back again to Texas, Texas Rangers. One time, I I stayed till I'm not kidding, 2.15 in the morning, at old Arlington stadium that the fans were lined up for an autograph or a photo or anything that they wanted signed or opposed or with. They stayed and the line went all the way into the parking lot from the concourse of the stadium. And, uh, and it, uh, fans would come up to me at, even at 1.30 in the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning, and say, what are you still doing here? And I turned around and said, what the heck are you still doing here? <laughs> okay? <laughs> and uh, Because I do not leave, and no one has ever turned away. All the autographs are free. All of them are free. All of them have been say, free.
1: I was going to yes. say, contrary to the athletes and the uh, personalities in today's sports, you've never charged.
2: Never, never. I've always done it free of charge uh, wherever I've gone. I've made myself available. The way I look at it, Rich, if these people spent their time, their money, their energy to come out and see a guy in a chicken suit, to have a few laughs over a few hours and literally put me gainfully employed over the irreverence of what I'm doing in my life. Then the very least I can do is hang around and give them a little more of my time. And if they want an autograph or a photo with me, boy, that's a, to me, that's a high compliment. And I am happy to do that, to give them that remembrance, uh, for the future. So I'm, I'm humbled and touched by their attention and, and, and their good faith towards me that the very least that I can do is reciprocate it for them.
1: You're more than just a uh, free-range chicken. You've appeared on a cereal box. You starred in Baseball Bunch TV show. Yeah, yeah. Your your costume, as we discussed earlier, is on display at the Baseball Hall of Fame. Where you've written a few books. And most recently, you did a podcast with Ron Burgundy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cur- cur- currently, there's a line of San Diego chicken toys there being sold. What haven't you done, Ted?
2: Oh, there's so much still to do. Now the books that I, I, I've written, none of them are uh, autobiographical, uh, but I've got to get around to to that. You know, with all these anecdotes and stories, I've, I, I I keep getting urged to do it, and I've never gotten around to do it. The books that I've written were basically, you know, little baseball quiz books and such. Uh, not nothing major, just little handbooks there's there's a lot that can be done um one day i've always felt that this could be a a, a film it could be a film one day a very funny film and uh and i've got to do that uh, autobiography uh one day and uh, th- there's so much uh you know i i've got to get cracking on it uh, but but i i love every minute of it i've never tired of it it's it's it continues to be fun for me and uh yeah there's there's a a line of of toys out there a small line of toys super 7 um company has an action figure of me out there which is uh, a fun and uh like i've mentioned don russ has a line of baseball cards about me that the fans they send those to me uh, by the pilefuls every week and i sign every one and send them back and you know nonstop and so I, I enjoy it all. I still enjoy it. And I'm not out there performing as I, as I used to. No one is, uh, these days, of course. But the, the memories that I, I've had over the decades still serve me well. And you know what the great thing is, Rich? It, you know, I, the fans who came out to see me, they carry the same memories with them. And they express this in their letters and their notes to me. And you know, As a baseball promotion, I've learned one thing. Giving away hats and bats and T-shirts, that's all well and good. But one of the things I stumbled upon and I learned that the greatest promotion you can give any sports fan is a memory. And thankfully, I've been able to do that with a few laughs and a little bit of a sense of humor. And they've carried those memories, the fans have, for ages. And boy, oh boy, that means so much to me. You know, you might not remember where you got, say, a little toy bat, or where you got uh, a, a a cap, but boy, you sure remember where you had a good laugh at a game. And to say, oh, I was at the game one time at Wrigley Field, and I saw the chicken doing this, and oh my gosh! And people write me, and they say uh, one of my greatest memories as a kid was going to the ballpark with my grandfather uh, to, to see you. We made special special plans to. To see the chicken on chicken night and uh, all across the country. And they've always carried that memory with them. So it's, it's very, very touching. You know, you, you can have a sense of humor and it's, and it's great. It, it's great. And it, it lives in the heart. You, you can't say that so much with other promotions that are tangible. Boy, you could say it with, isn't it something you could say it with a memory? And that's what I've been able, lucky enough to give people, um, you know, in, in my life.
1: It's a special memory for those that are fortunate enough over the years that have been able to meet you in person. And I speak for myself that the opportunity for me to photograph you a few years ago is one of my, honestly, one of my highlights of my career. And you talk about you talk about a memory that uh, I cherish. It certainly is that. To this day, I continue to thank you.
2: You have some wonderful photography. You know, uh, you've done some excellent photography. You're renowned, needless to say. So, uh, I, I appreciate the, the the kind thought. But you 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 know how to make sports photography art, and and that's very special. So, uh, thank for, you for the kind words.
1: For the, for the listeners that may not know or have not seen the picture that we, uh, took, Ted and I and, and our assistant and the coordinator, Andy Strasberg, who was, uh, the gentleman who pulled this together for us. Uh, the photograph was of Ted in the middle of thousands of chickens in a chicken <laughs> egg farm. And we got into it and did it. We wanted something unique and I gave up. I realized I'm smart enough, just just smart enough to realize at that moment in amongst all these chickens, it was very loud. The smell, you can imagine, was not pleasant. I just said to Ted, Ted, do your thing. There was no art direction whatsoever. And from that point on, you coordinated it. And we had all the poses. So you did all the work. You made me look good. But just the fact to be able to work with the famous chicken and better yet to get to know and be able to call Ted Giannullis a friend is something that I I very much appreciate. Ted, your, your entire body of work over the years is a reminder to all of us. Trust me. Indeed, it is just a game after all. And I can't thank you enough for being on our podcast today, and I wish you all the best. To have you on, has been terrific, and I thank you.
2: Fantastic, Rich. Thank you very much for the kind thoughts. I, I truly appreciate it. Uh, believe me, I, 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 I'm, I'm taken aback by, by your kindness. Thank you. Thank you very much.
1: Ted, you, you stay well, and we'll, we'll catch up with each other soon. And I thank sounds you again. Good, Rich. All right.
2: Hey, sounds good.